Get Mad with Chris Graves. Hi, welcome back to Get Mad with yours truly. I am Chris Graves. Today I have a very, very special guest, a, a gentleman that I've been trying to connect with for quite a few years now. And with the help of uh, my past guest, Mary Ellen Moore, I was able to do just that. And he, he's uh, a guest I would love to have come back uh, many times. Uh, he's research. His name is Pat Shannon, and he has researched such subjects as the JFK assassination, Martin Luther King, Robert F. Kennedy, Waco, Oklahoma City, 9-11, TWA 800, and many, many other subjects. And today we're going to talk about a subject that I've been researching for uh, the last two years myself uh, and helping um, my good friend and author Donald Jeffries for uh, Hidden History 3, his upcoming book um, about the John F. Kennedy Jr. plane crash of July 1999. Well, Mr. Mr. Shannon, uh, who I'm going to call Pat because he uh, requested that, and I, I respect this, this gentleman very much. Um, his website is uh, www.ini-world-report.org. I'm going to say that one more time, and then I'm going to repeat it at the end of the interview. www.ini-world-report.org, and that's the Independent News International World Report, INI World Report. Welcome, Miss. Uh, welcome, Pat. Sorry, I had to catch myself again. Hi, how are you, Chris? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm very nervous because I, like I said, I've been following your work for quite a long time, and I don't want to screw this up. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm not worried about that. I, I'm, I'm delighted to know that uh, I've got uh, silent fans out there. I wish you'd contacted me a few years earlier. Oh, believe me, I wish I had a way to do that. But uh, finally, with uh, Mary Ellen Moore, like I was mentioning, yeah, we were able to make this happen. Um, right off the bat, how are you today? <laughs> Well, I'm uh, just getting younger every day. Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> okay, well, I was just going to say that the JFK Jr. plane crash is a subject that has mystified me for quite a while. I wouldn't say right since it happened because I wasn't really aware that there was anything that was kind of off about the whole the whole situation until a few years later. But you were actually one of the original uh, reporters, uh, journalists, to look into this. And uh, right off the bat, I was just curious, what what was the thing that got you, like, got the red flags up for you about about JFK Jr.'s death? Well, like you, I, I was intrigued about it from the beginning, and I was aware uh, from the very first moment. I was in, in Australia, by the way. I was in Sydney, Australia that month. And uh, so the only place I could pick up the news reports of it was on CNN. That was the only uh, American uh, carrier that was talking about it at all. But anyway, uh, CNN at that time uh, could be semi-trusted, and much more than today. But uh, I immediately got on the email, and I I contacted a a couple of uh, close, uh, truth-seeking friends, uh, one on the West Coast in California, another one uh, in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And I said, what's going on here? Uh, is, is this true? And both of them wrote back and said it's, uh, to, the, uh, to the point that it's about the goofiest uh, news reporting they'd ever heard because all they were seeing all weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or I say Saturday and Sunday, 
uh, was was just videos and stuff from JFK Senior and Junior, and they just ran it over and over and over, and but nothing about the crash, and they weren't learning anything, and so that was the initial news cover up that probably most people don't remember. Uh, I, a lot of a lot of footage of uh, a Junior uh, saluting the casket and things like the Kennedy yeah. Kurtz talk, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the stuff that we'd seen for, you know, for 60 years or you know, 60 years now, rather. Uh, but anyhow, they just, they, the public wasn't learning anything. So that intrigued me. Then I began to remember, uh, that even though I was out of the country, there, the, the fact that not only was Junior, uh, running, uh, for the Senate, uh, against Hillary the following year in uh, 2000, but he probably was going to be uh, down the road in the future years, going to be another Kennedy for president. And with uh, with the Clinton's history, I wondered immediately what was going on there with the death of, of uh, the, the plane crash and all. Because, uh, yeah, as we all know today, the Clintons are notorious. Uh, the numbers are in three figures now of actual actual deaths. Uh, the Clinton uh, body who, count. Yeah. Yeah, the the body count is up in three figures. But you know, how many people do you know in your whole lifetime that committed suicide? I knew one. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, the, <laughs> here we're t- talking about. Well, it was uh, it was just over a hundred, uh, I think, at that time. It's like over one hundred and fifty now. So anyhow, they were afraid of Junior. I mean, JFK Jr. was better looking than any Hollywood movie star. He could walk down the street in Manhattan and the women would actually swoon. He wouldn't even have had to campaign. He could have beaten her by putting his name on the ballot. Yeah, the sexiest man alive, 1988, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, he he was such a threat that the, the Clinton crime organization immediately uh, came to mind. Well, I was back in the States in a couple of weeks, and I heard this taped uh, interview of um, JFK Jr.'s, I just call him Jr. for short, but his his uh, uh, flight instructor, his name was John McColgan of Vero Beach, California, was a pilot for Jackie Kennedy. I'm reading from my own manuscript. Jackie Kennedy in the mid-60s and knew John Jr. since he was three years old. Uh, he... Uh, went on a talk show with a Seattle talk show host uh, named uh, Mike Webb in, I believe it was uh, July the 29th. I know the crash is on the 16th of July of 99. It was yeah. just a couple of weeks later that he was on his talk show yeah. and talking about this, that, and the other, and the lies that had been told about Junior uh, not being competent. He, he went on to explain that uh, his student was very competent. He had been flying for years, a lot longer than his mother ever knew, uh, even though he didn't go public with it until after she died, which was 94, as I remember. That's right, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he, I think he had actually been uh, uh, training uh, with, with McColgan since the 80s. I mean, he had a lot of hours that nobody yeah, it was knew. 1982. That's how what people don't realize. Oh, okay, you got it. Well, so he... Uh, the uh, flight instructor, McColgan, was pointing out that they had t- told a, a bunch of fantasies and fabrications about Junior and his ability. Uh, of course, they made a big deal out there. He had, had uh, sprained an ankle or broken a foot or something, bone in his foot uh, uh, sometime before, and so he was flying one-footed. 
McCogan went on to say it was his left foot, so what difference does it make? It'd be no harder than driving an automatic transmission car if your yeah. left foot was injured. Uh, so anyway, he was very explicit, and this was an hour or two radio uh, tape that I heard, radio show, and it was taped, and that intrigued me, and as, as fate or life would have it, my wife and I were in Florida. My parents lived down there at the time when they were alive, and uh, we were ended up in a motel in Vero Beach. Well, remembering that McCogan was from Vero Beach, I looked him up in a phone book and found him. And I gave him a call. And it was, you know, shortly after we checked in, say 7 to 8 o'clock, reasonable hour of the evening. And I, I called him out and told him who I was and what I was up to. And I said, uh, I, I heard you on the, on Mike Webb's radio show out of Seattle. And he said, who? When? <laughs> was in total denial. And this was, oh, I, I got to, uh, since I... I got to the uh, Martha's Vineyard in early September. This would have had to have been like middle August when we were in Florida. So it was a couple of weeks after he'd done the show, and he was in total denial. It was obvious to me, with my experience, that somebody had gotten to him. Some Somebody had said, hey, boy, shut up. Because you would think he would remember doing a, a radio show interview. <laughs> like yeah, right. The week, the week prior or, or the week or yeah, two. Yeah, just a week or two earlier. So anyway, uh, with with my experience with with Oklahoma City and uh, the other uh, investigations that I've done, I was very familiar with, uh, with CIA and FBI approaching yeah. people and, and threatening them. Witness intimidation, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, some people call it the Federal Bureau of Intimidation. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, so anyway, I, I was with the Media Bypass Magazine at that time, and I prevailed upon them to send me over to Martha's Vineyard. And uh, it was uh, Labor Day weekend. And uh, I was outraged at the prices, motel rooms, uh, the the the, the three-figure prices of hotel rooms that we have are forced to pay today were already in force in, in 1999 at Martha. Yeah, that was like $160 a night. It was outrageous. No public bathrooms there either because I went and made a pilgrimage to Martha's Vineyard a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, what was the price then? Must have been two or three hundred, huh? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like almost four hundred. <laughs> oh wow! Unbelievable. Well, that's what the traffic will bear. But uh, anyhow, I had a I had a very interesting uh, trip. I had done a lot of uh, reading uh, uh, on the on the case, and there was a a lawyer from Pittsburgh. Uh, his, his name was a Prabanic, Victor Prabanic, and he was fishing out in the water. Uh, on the, if you look at a, it's it's very difficult for me to explain this without a map or have someone to look at as visual aid. Yes. But but imagine uh, Martha's Vineyard. It's it's shaped like the bottom half of Florida, and it, it runs uh, east and west rather than north and south. But it's uh, you know they're off the coast of Rhode Island, and Junior was flying from New York, uh, Long Island over over there, and, and during daylight you can you can almost see where you're going all the way on a clear day. It's just not that far. And oh, when yeah. you, you know, when you're up at 10, 20,000 feet, it's easy to, well, you, you can fly, you can fly it really with, without any 
uh, anything more than visual because uh, you can see the the uh, continent of the coast on your left, and you can see Martha's Vineyard on your right. Uh, so that's the route that he took. Of course, it was after dark. He was late getting started, and there are all kinds of rumors about that that we don't need to go into today. But when he, uh, the story was that he had, uh, uh, and this was on Boston radio, by the way, uh, reported on Saturday morning. Uh, the 16th was a Friday night for your listeners to know. But on Saturday morning, the plane had, uh, was not announced missing until 2 o'clock in the morning. But the the actual uh, uh, flight time, uh, it was, he, called, he called in at like uh, 8.39, as I remember, p.m., and uh, to say that he was going to drop his sister-in-law. Uh, this is not verbatim, but he was going to drop Carolyn's sister at the at the airport there at uh, Martha's Vineyard, yeah. Yeah, Martha's Vineyard, but it was uh, still, oh, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 miles south of where he was headed, where the Kennedy Ranch was. And uh, and he was, when he's talking to this, uh, <coughs> excuse me, talking uh, to the, uh, uh, the, what do you call the guy who's in the tower? Yeah, his name was uh, Marvin Wyatt. He went by the name Buddy, and he was in the air traffic control tower. And Yeah, ATC, yeah. that's what I was trying to think of. Thank you for reminding me of his name, because I did go uh, to look him up later, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But the report on the Boston radio on Saturday morning was that uh, JFK Jr. had called in and said that uh, he was a few miles out and was going to stop at Martha's Vineyard Airport and drop off a passenger and then uh, head on over. Now, and, for ever, for everyone listening, this is a very important because that's how they got this information was from was from Junior's radio transmission. But they later claimed that it never existed. Yeah, well, that's what the uh, ATC guy. What did you say his name was, Marvin? Yeah, Buddy Wyatt. Marvin oh, Buddy Wyatt. Buddy Wyatt. Yeah. Well, when I. Uh, I got there to uh, at Martha's Vineyard on Labor Day weekend. Uh, one of the p- first places I went was to the uh, Martha's Vineyard Airport to look up Buddy Wyatt. And I walked in and and uh, introduced my guy, uh, cop there at the desk, and and uh, guard. I uh, need some kind of security guard or a real cop. I don't remember, but he was uniformed. And uh, I said uh, I wanted to uh, talk with. Uh, uh, Buddy Wyatt, and the guy said, uh, uh, "Well, he's uh, he's off this week. He's uh, he's on vacation. He's not here. Uh, anything I can help you with?" <laughs> and, and I said, "Well, I just you know I know that uh, he had, he had talked to a JFK Jr. on the radio, and I just wanted to interview him because I'm a journalist and I'm writing a story about it." His remark was, "Are you guys still beating that dead horse?" Bob Betos, here we come. Can't believe we're leaving our Jakey all by himself. Honey, he's 25. I think he'll be okay. I got him 17 Hannaford frozen pizzas. <laughs> That's all he eats. Wouldn't it be nice if we got, like, personalized coupons from Hannaford for all those? Would be a lot of savings. This in-flight entertainment is brought to you by Hannaford Rewards. Get personalized coupons based on your purchases. Hmm. See, honey, everything's going to be fine. It's simple to save with my Hannaford Rewards. <laughs> Convenient timing. <laughs> yeah. So once again, I guess there's another one that they had been gotten to, and I never did get a chance to uh, 
to meet Buddy Wyatt, but I did get him on the phone a, a few days later. I can't remember how much later. And uh, he, once again, he was in denial. He said he not, never talked to uh, Junior. It never happened. Well, <laughs> Boston Radio had it, and I guess the recordings had it happening, too. But, well, yeah, on Channel 5, uh, the, t- the TV news station in Boston, WCVB Channel 5, Susan Warnick was the on-air uh, personality that was talking to the Boston Coast Guard spokesperson, Todd Bergen. And Todd Bergen was basically reporting what, you, what we're, we're talking about, this final radio transmission to uh, Martha's Vineyard Air Traffic Control Tower. And that's the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing I became interested in was, uh, first of all, this guy, uh, Vic, the lawyer from Pittsburgh, uh, Victor Pernanic, uh, uh, yeah, I think it is. Victor Probanic, yeah, yeah, Pittsburgh Probanic. lawyer. He was fishing that night. Yeah, he was fishing down at the south end, uh, out in the water in his hip boots. And also over to his left, they weren't together, but there was a college boy, uh, uh, I don't know, 100, 200 yards away. Uh, in in the water also who was fishing. And the reason we know this is both of them reported being out there. And uh, uh, Proganic, uh, I believe, was the one who saw the flash or heard the explosion once again. uh, He claimed that he had heard the explosion. The the Martha's Vineyard Gazette reporter that talked to Steve Sprasia, uh, also of Channel 5 in Boston, he had claimed he had seen a huge white flash in the sky, and it was around the time that John's plane was missing. Right. Well, I think this is what the college boy uh, said. Uh, what's his name? Well, the college the the college person that we were talking about, Adam Budd, he actually uh, he was the one that worked at uh, also at the airport in the luggage department, and the people that were going to pick up uh, the Bassett sister that JFK Jr. was dropping off at the airport, uh-huh. they asked him uh, if John's plane had landed yet, and he got on the, the phone to the FAA in Connecticut, and they told him that they couldn't give out that information to him. And then his phone recording was actually played in the media, like, years later. And that was Adam Budd. Okay, well, I'm, I'm not sure we're talking about the same kid then, because if he was at the airport, he couldn't have been out in the water fishing. Yeah, see, that's that that one I'm not too sure about. I know that there was an older gentleman that claimed he was a reporter for the Martha's Vineyard Gazette that saw a big white flash in the sky. And Victor Probanic was the uh, lawyer that he claimed he only heard an explosion at, around the same time, and he was fishing. Yeah. Okay, well, the the college boy, was the mysterious college boy, I should say, was out there also, and he he reported to reporters uh, that he had, I guess, uh, once again, reaching back in memory, whether he heard the flash or or saw the flash or heard the heard the explosion. I'm not sure which, but nevertheless, we got two witnesses out in the water that knew something had gone on. Well, I I began to stoop around. He worked uh, in a newspaper office. And uh, I, so I, when I was in Martha's Vineyard uh, at Labor Day, I sneaked around and I went in there. And they said, they told me that... Uh, hey, Pat, Pat, can uh, can I just cut you off for a second? I apologize. Um, there's a problem with the audio. I don't know if it's on Chuck's end or your end, but uh, I think there's like 
something's tapping someone's uh, microphone. No, that's just uh, he's uh, his wire is being pulled a little bit. If he can come a little closer to his machine, it'll probably fix itself. There you go. Say something, Pat. Okay, I, I've got the headset on. Yeah, it's uh, it's pulled away think, from the headset. I think a little you bit. might have heard me doing this. No, it's okay. That? It's okay. You're better now. Can you yeah, hear you're better, better now? I just want to make sure no one misses anything that you're saying. Yeah, go okay, go ahead. Well, just c- try to stay still, Pat. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. I was adjusting my headset. No problem. Okay. Oh, so where were we? Oh, the, we've got the we've got these two guys out there, two witnesses uh, to the explosion, which then led back to what they called a barometric bomb that uh, could have been uh, placed on the JFK Jr. plane back at New York uh, before they took off. And this would have been one of the reasons that they were late taking off because someone posing as as a trainer or pilot uh, instructor might have been the one who was actually uh, installing this. And the and barometric the, bomb works. Uh, was, it the, was it the late Sherman Skolnick that said he had a... Uh, he had an, a report from uh, either the CIA or the FBI or something that we he had bullet points about uh, the plane being messed with at a certain point. Well, yeah. In fact, I quoted Skolnick in my media bypass article. I'm looking at it right here. But uh, the, the barometric bomb was when, when the plane got over 5,000 feet, it would trigger it to kick it on. And then when landing, when the plane goes back under 5,000 feet, it explodes, sets it off. This this is supposed to be the theory of, of how the thing worked. Right. Uh, uh, now, if that was the case, he was at uh, over a place called, uh, appropriately, Dead Man's Island. And the well, they, morning, they used to explode uh, ordnance, I think, uh, after World War II, I believe. Oh, no, yeah. no man's land island. That's right. Yeah. So that was some of the history. Okay. Good for you. I didn't know that. But, um, the luggage, Carolyn Bassett's bag came washing up on what would be the south side of the Florida shaped Martha's Vineyard Island. And this was the next morning. Also a piece of the landing gear from JFK Jr.'s plane. So obviously there had been an explosion if you could blew off the wheel. Yeah. And that washed up on, on the south side. And once again, this is what I'm talking about. It's hard to explain to someone. Well, who's not well for, map. For, for any listeners out there that have access to uh, a map right now, I believe you're referring to Philbin Beach, which is at the very uh, south uh, southwest corner of the island, not too far from Jackie Kennedy's Redgate Farm, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I recognize that name. So that would have been the beach that they washed up on. Now, visualize this, that the National Guard, I mean, excuse me, the Coast Guard went on, and after 72 hours, they are they pull off. If they don't have any success, so on Monday, they they pull off. Monday night, they pulled off the search. The plane couldn't be found, and immediately, Bill Clinton, President of the United States, authorizes the CIA, who is never authorized for domestic uh, operation and duty, authorizes the CIA to go back to work. And find the plane. Come Wednesday, they find the plane. They pull up the bodies, and it's it's way over on the on the north side of of Martha's Vineyard, uh, two thirds of the way to Massachusetts. 
In some of the reports, they tried to pass the theory that two airplanes went down uh, the night of the 16th. As ridiculous as that sounds, I've come across that material before. Uh, no, I, I don't remember that one. But anyway, it was totally impossible for the Kennedy plane to have exploded and gone down over near Dead Man's Island. And for Carolyn's uh, suitcase and the lug of the wheel to come washing up on that side of, of the beach. And then for the plane to be found several miles north, uh, as I said, halfway to Massachusetts. Uh, so that it was a cover story from the beginning, and yeah. they they you know, they, they pulled pulled up the uh, the bodies and and uh, cremated them and threw them back in the next day. And they cremated them very fast in one night. The uh, yeah. supposed autopsies, all three of them, open and shut, and that's it. Yeah. So that was. Uh, that was the, the questionable stuff that was going on. That November, I was speaking uh, in a big Patriot conference in Denver. And a guy came by my uh, table. We had a book table there, and, and it was a two-day conference. And, and uh, well, you know, I only had to speak for an hour, so I got to sell books and sit at my table there the, the rest of the time and talk with people. And, you know, glad and and. This guy came by my table in the middle of Saturday afternoon, and he introduced himself, and he says, I, I have someone I want you to meet. And I said, fine, who? And he says, well, I'm going to go get him. He's, he was uh, uh, an investigator with, uh, uh, what's the title of that, Worldwide Investigative? Uh, doesn't make any difference. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I, I try to help you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I did, you know. Once again, you know, it's been a, it's, uh, it's been like a long time, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not only that, you don't have to be in your eighties to forget something that happened twenty plus years ago. Well, I don't even remember last week, so yeah, I understand. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, he was uh, claimed that he was at the uh, at the scene, and one of one of the most remarkable things about the about this whole case was we never saw a picture. Of the plane. Now, when they pulled that plane up, they had to have been photographers all over the place. They had, you know, this is a Pulitzer Prize of shot for of 1999 of having a picture of that plane with the tail blown out, and yeah. which which I maintain is the reason we never saw it. Well, he the only well, Pat, the only picture, and I apologize for uh, cutting you off uh, so many times. Uh, it, I, no, it's uh, okay. No, that's why we have a conversation. I just wanted you to know that they did have a photo, but it was it was the plane wreckage supposedly with a blue tarp over it on the back of a uh, a big rig. Oh Could yes, have, that's yeah. what I meant. But we ne- we never saw the evidence of no, the tail being blown out. Never. But he never. told me he saw it when they pulled it up, and indeed the tail was blown out, which falls in line with the the whole uh, theory of the barometric bomb we talked about earlier. Well, the late Bill Cooper, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but the late Bill Cooper said on his radio show uh, back in back around the fall of 1989, said that he was given pictures of the plane with the tail being blown out. So I'm, you know, to make that for whatever it is. But, yeah, supposedly there were pictures taken, but the public didn't get more privy to them, apparently. Well, once again, more evidence of the control news media. Exactly. So anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. Please continue. I'm sorry. Well, 
get the CIA involved and the, the old case becomes suspect. Oh, yeah. Now, did you ever have any, um, did you ever have any, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, any contact with anyone that, uh, Junior would have been, like in his inner circle? Did, did you have contact with anybody, maybe even in the Kennedy family, possibly? No, but I can tell you a piece of suppressed information that, uh, that came out of Austin, Texas. That on Thursday of that week, the day before the uh, crash, a guy by the name of George Bush, who was governor of the state, disappeared. I heard about that, and that was during uh, pretty heavy campaigning against Al Gore for the presidential election. Yeah, and he didn't show up until Monday, and nobody knew where he was, including his staff, or at least they wouldn't. They never said. Yeah, the woman, his campaign manager, was at a loss to uh, tell reporters where uh, W was. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the speculation was the theory that uh, George Jr. we just very well might have been in New York. Uh, doing what they could to to get rid of John because they needed Hillary. They didn't need John in there. <laughs> right. Well, that's the two uh, that's the two prevailing theories is that either the Clintons had something to do with it or the Bushes had something to do with it. I think he, even reporter Wayne Madsen had a, a theory about uh, George H.W. Bush and W. being seen at the uh, New Jersey airport, kind of close to where John Jr.'s plane was. But... Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to make of that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think I remember, yeah, they were a rumor to be at Newark. But uh, I don't know that. uh, Yeah, I can't I can't prove it. I'm not saying that Mr. Madsen was, uh, you know, wrong, but I I don't know what to make of it. Well, I I always like Madsen. Is he still alive? I haven't seen him around in a few years. Yeah, I think he is. He's a little more elusive these years, though, for some reason. Well, he's probably looking over his shoulder. They've probably been after him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He looked into a lot of the, uh, I think, um, a lot of Mossad activity in the last um, yeah. couple of decades. But yeah, um, that's 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 dangerous work in itself. Exactly, and John and actually Junior with his George magazine was starting to do uh, more and more exposés uh, when it comes to assassin political assassinations, including hiring uh, Wayne Madsen to look into his father's murder again. The what murder? His own father's murder again. Oh, uh huh. Yeah, apparently he had a meeting with uh, Wayne Madsen uh, Jr. did uh, a couple weeks before and wanted to hire him to look into the uh, JFK assassination again for George Magazine. And that's what oh. he—that's what he had claimed. So. Welcome to Hannaford. I'm hungry, Dad. I know, buddy. Look, all your favorites. Oh yeah. Hannaford brand tastios, <gasps> nature's promise apples, <gasps> taste of inspirations, five cheese pizza, yum, yum, and yum. Do we earn rewards on all these store brands? Well, sir, excellent question. Attention shoppers, earn rewards on all Hannaford store brands. Well, what do you know? I was going to say that. It's simple to save with my Hannaford rewards. We are going to die out here. Someone will find us soon. We're lost, we're out of food and water, and our phones are dead. Well, I've got 5% left, but I'm saving it for wow days at BJ's Wholesale Club. Are you kidding me? No, it's their three-day event where you save up to 65% on appliances, tech, furniture, and outdoor products. But I should probably call for help. Wait, 
Do they have air fryers? Save up to 65% during Wild Days at BJ's Wholesale Club July 10th through the 12th. Visit BJ's.com slash Wild Days for details. BJ's, absurdly simple savings. Well, you know, I've been on that case since almost the beginning, too. Wow, wow. Yeah, that's what I was mentioning before. Well, let, let's uh, take a break from uh, from Junior for a second. Um, what <laughs> I know that uh, we're coming towards the end here, but uh, what what brought you into the JFK assassination fold? Like, what? Like, can you give us a little background uh, how you started that investigation? Well, I was already grown past the age of majority in, in 1963, so uh, I was was on top of things. I but. First of all, we had to re- realize that in 63, we had only one source of news. And there was no such thing as an Internet or uh, very few independent reporters, and they were so suppressed. I mean, people like Mark Lane, who, who finally went after the truth, had so much trouble getting published. He had to write his own book. Yeah, Rush you know, to Judgment, yep. Yeah, to uh, to get the info out. But I was, I was a little suspect because of the information we were getting from a uh, uh, about Oswald, and of course this was in '63. Well, in 1966, there a guy. Uh, yeah, I got his book over there. He was a professor at San Diego State University, and he wrote a book called uh, "The Other, uh, The Second Oswald." And I found it very intriguing. Now he was no more an investigative journalist than I was at that time. Yeah, but he had some great questions, and he had. had just taking it on, you know, as a, as a secondary avocation for, for himself. He was intrigued by the situation, and so he had some great questions. And the, the one that intrigued me the most is how can a 17-year-old kid drop out of high school his senior year, join the Navy, allegedly go to language school for six weeks in Japan, and come out speaking Russian so fluently that when he meets his future wife in Russia, she thinks he's a native. Yeah, the the two Oswald theory. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I later wrote a book on, on on that subject after John Armstrong uh, came up with all the facts. He he, was, he just did a wonderful job in around nineteen. Now, did Mr. Armstrong have in his book? Because I, I might be getting this wrong, but the thing that intrigued me about the two Oswald theory was at the movie theater, which I actually was able to go to Dallas personally, and I went to the, the Texas movie theater, uh-huh. and I remember reading about how there was a, a second Oswald being taken out the back, away from the crowd and everything. Have you heard about that? You must have heard that. Oh, yes, that was that was undoubtedly Lee. Uh, Harvey was the one that was the patsy that had the job at the Texas School Book Depository. Uh, Lee was the one that was actually working with the CIA and the FBI and setting things up. And we have to remember that after Harvey's arrest at two in the afternoon, he, he was seen three more times that evening and once as late as one o'clock in the morning sitting talking with Jack Ruby in a, in a restaurant or coffee shop or somewhere. Well, he's already in jail downtown. How could he be out here? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and then I heard another another uh, claim that he was on uh, on an airplane flying uh, flying somewhere at a certain point too. Oh, you're talking about the Mexico City trip? No, I mean like on the day of the uh, supposed arrests. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, I can't remember. Well, now here I go talking without having the information in front of me. But no, I had heard that too. Uh, Chuck, do you know what I'm talking about offhand? Where uh, Oswald was? Um, yeah, he's allegedly seen on a military transport uh, coming out yeah. of Redbird Airport uh, that night, and all this. And there's uh, actually uh, an, an interesting fellow who was uh, working there who uh, has a really good track record, uh, claiming that he had uh, sought to rent a plane beforehand and all that and then the same guy gets out that night uh the you know friday night after oswald's been arrested around the time of the midnight press conference when the whole world sees oswald live on tv this guy's claiming that uh he might have been getting on to a you know a sort of vaguely documented military transport plane transport plane that was what i was thinking yeah yeah but there's several things connected to him with an airport and going in and out and being seen there on the air yeah Okay, I just wanted to be sure that I wasn't just uh, making that up. I, I read that somewhere. No, no problem. Just giving you a couple of backing facts. I'll show. I appreciate that. No, no, no. You don't have to show. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, Pat. So yeah, so no, the uh, the two Oswald thing. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like that's a common thing. Like with later ops, like uh, there, were, I have a feeling there were multiple McVeighs, multiple Muhammad Adas. You know, a lot of multiple patsy scenarios. Pat, you you were talking about uh, Richard Popkins, the professor there that uh, did yeah, the first that, two Oswalds. Yeah, right. So for context, Popkins did that, but there were claims that flooded into the FBI, and we know this now, documented all over the country, actually, of Oswald being cited. I mean, in just about every one of the fifty states. Uh, you guys are probably both well aware of this, but the listeners might not be that there were hundreds of reports of him everywhere. Uh, after what he's, yeah, in that time frame that weekend while he's in prison. And as I said, the, the, you know, this is the first time the news media went live, so to speak. And, uh, certainly we get to see plenty of live footage coming from Dallas, Texas, which oddly enough, if you were paying attention, you didn't know it at the time, but the whole world actually saw Jack Ruby lurking through the hallways on Friday night, Saturday and night. He, it even answers one of the questions at the press conference, right? Yes. Uh, of course, uh, District Attorney Henry Wade loved telling that story. And when I interviewed him myself, uh, he, he recounted that on videotaping. It was glee almost. Hey, do you know when I asked that question about the uh, Cuba committee there, do you know who spoke up? He was like testing me and like smiling about it, the irony of it. Uh, District Attorney Henry Wade, which, uh, of course, everybody knows from the Roe versus Wade decision. That's the same guy, but he was the prosecutor at that time who was supposed to prosecute Lee Harvey Oswald. And uh, him and Wagoner Carr, the two blonde-haired guys you see on TV handling the press conferences. But mostly you heard from Henry Wade that night. And, of course, the thing you're bringing up is, uh, you know, he was uh, part of the, uh, uh, well, the Free Cuba movement or something, and two voices to my listening ear, but everybody knows one of the voices, but two voices pipe up during a press conference with Henry Wade to say, no, that's the fair play for QB committee. And he agrees, and the press conference moves on. Turns out, Lee Harvey Oswald's fact sheet is being corrected in real time by none other than a wandering through the press, Jack Ruby. So, there you go. I'll shut up now and uh, let you guys continue. I figured I'd give you a chance to breathe and fill in your facts. Well, there Thank was you. Another, another witness from the Texas Theater that uh, he didn't know it at the time, uh, but uh, when Ruby's picture hit the papers on Monday, he said that's the guy that was sitting behind Oswald in the theater. 
Jack Ruby was sitting behind Oswald in the movie theater? Yeah. <laughs> this guy testified he swore up and down. Was he? Now, what you talked about, the guy leaving uh, the, the two Oswalds at the Texas Theater. Harvey yeah, well, yeah one out the front and then the, the one out the back away from the press. Yeah. And, and several hours later, it was, well, not several hours, but a, a good hour or so later, he was sneaked out the back way. And a businessman who uh, who had a, a retail store there, along with the theater and the shoe store and the other things, I forget which business he was. He looked he looked out his back door and he saw, uh, uh, obviously Lee, because uh, Oswald had already been gone for a half an hour, an hour or more, and he saw him being hit, uh, led out the back door in handcuffs and, and put in a police car and hauled, so he thought. And he thought it for years that he had witnessed the arrest of Oswald when we all know he went out the front door. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, has always mystified me. Um, Another big evidence we have in my book, uh, what I did, I credited John Armstrong, who wrote a thousand-page epic, and he did it. He's the greatest researcher on the on the subject ever, and he just proved it to me over and over and over and over. You know that there were two, were two Oswalds, but one of the ones that, that we reprinted uh, were the pictures of the two mothers, and the the Marguerite Oswald mother that we knew was uh, born in uh, uh, 1893, I think it was, but she was uh, no, it'd be 52 because uh, 92 because she was 15 years older than Lee's mother. We show pictures of both of them, and and uh, the if if. Uh, Lee, Lee had been born as he was October the 18th, 1939. Guess how old Mama would have been, okay? Eight more years than that. <laughs> 47. Not impossible. I mean, God has done other things, but uh, it's questionable. But uh, Lee, Lee's birthday was October 1839, and Harvey, we suspect, was probably a war orphan. He grew up, uh, as a young age, he grew up speaking Russian fluently. And when the FBI or CIA or whoever it was discovered that, they realized they had something big they could use in the Cold War. And this was in 1953, a good 10 years before the murder of Kennedy. In fact, before, and hardly anybody knew who Kennedy was. He was a brand-new senator. So they certainly didn't uh, commandeer the two Oswalds in, in order to do a perform an assassination on the president, but they did commandeer them for something. They knew that they would be able to use them and I since learned from other people in my later years of how many of these types that they have all over the country. And just like uh, uh, the, the phony McVeigh, uh, uh, that's something we haven't gotten into today. We can do it some other day. But Yeah, please. Yeah, I know. But I was just going to ask you, like, that that's a common thing with espionage, right, where they have uh, these doubles that are pretty much groomed from uh, their childhoods, like – well, this is why I maintain that Tim McVeigh was never executed, because they, 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 they are paid well to go to jail and waste five, seven, seven, eight years of their lives and doing whatever they have to do. But you can't kill them. If you kill them, you're going to wipe out your whole team worldwide. I've heard that, too. I've heard that a few times. And uh, I've come across that even with uh, Mohammed Atta of 9-11. Mm-hmm. Well, the amusing thing that few people know about, but you can still find it on the Internet, and I urge your listeners to go look it up. But on the day of McVeigh's alleged execution, 
First of all, they brought in some expert from guess where, Langley, Virginia, to, to go to Terre Haute, and, uh, which Terre Haute already had one of the most sophisticated execution units in the country. Yeah. But, but then, uh, when McVeigh is finished and they're rolling him out on the, on the gurney, there's a woman from WLS Chicago, 50,000 screaming radio watts, and she's live. She's not taping. She's live, and she says on the air, oh, look, he's still breathing. He's still breathing, yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, that, of course, couldn't be squelched because it went out live. But uh, as I, I learned from, from others uh, since then, that that is, uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, that's a procedure. They, these people are... are on a team worldwide, and they're used for various things in a whole lot of more countries than just the USA. But you can't kill them. If you kill them, you're going to lose a whole team because they said, I ain't going to play with that anymore. Yeah, because uh, there's no guarantee that, you know, they're not going to do the same to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's another thing on the death certificate, and yours truly, I think, was the first one to write about this. I just happened to catch it when they printed it uh, on in the papers. There was a death certificate of, of uh, Tim McVeigh, and it says down halfway down the page on the left, employer, U.S. Army. Well, he, the official story was he quit the Army in 1992. Yes. Nine years earlier, and they didn't know how he was being funded when he was driving all over the place and going to L.A. City and all this stuff. And he had thousands of dollars in his pocket, too. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, but how did he live for those years? Exactly. Uh, well, well he, he was employed by the U.S. Army, but he was in some kind of special forces. He wasn't a, a, a grunt anymore. And he wrote to his uh, he wrote to his sister saying that he was in special ops now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's that's one of the things that got my later friend Hoppy Heidelberg kicked off of the grand jury because uh, he he tried to publicize that and uh, among other things he was like, he was doing his job as a grand juror and they, the the feds couldn't have that. Yeah, and they didn't. And he requested evidence and witnesses, and uh, he shut him up. Yeah. Well, Pat, you uh, have you have quite a bit of research uh, over the years, so uh, I'm just glad that you took the time to talk to talk to me today. And uh, I hope that this uh, will be a reoccurring thing, like I was talking to you before on the phone about, because um, it's endlessly fascinating and. Uh, you have quite the quite the story to tell, and just in closing with the with John Jr., um, do you think we'll ever fully know what really happened with that plane? I mean, I've heard rumors. I, I, I haven't been able to corroborate it or not, but that there's actual files that are kind of reminiscent of uh, you know JFK or Columbine, where they're locked up for decades. That type of thing. Well. You know, there are rumors flying over, over the net uh, today that, that, he, that he faked his own death because he knew that Clintons were going to kill him. And I don't endorse that one way or the other. I, I, I would love to know that it happened. I would love to know that he pulled it off and that he would appear one day. But the, the, the point being that uh, if, if, if so, then the, the whole family had to be in it. There were no bodies that were pulled out of the plane. Uh, it was quite a great cover-up, and, and if, if indeed it did happen. But... Uh, I, I just uh, I can't I can't put any credence in that yet until he walks up and says hello. <laughs> right, right. As a DNA test, and even then, it's it's suspect. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's actually two other things I meant to ask you earlier. Uh, All right. 
conversation. Did you ever come across the information about the uh, mysterious beacon that went out uh, in the ocean that later on the Coast Guard claimed that it was a mistake? Because that was reported on a bunch, too, at the time. Yeah, I never wrote about that, but I'm vaguely uh, pulling it up as you remind me. But, no, I don't know anything about that. Okay, yeah, because it came up uh, actually kind of across the way from Montauk Island of all places. And uh, they just, they literally just claimed that it was uh, a mistaken beacon and that it was, uh, they had no real answer. So they just said it was a mistake. Yeah, there was, and also the reports that I have footage of Dan Rather the next morning uh, on the 17th talking about a fourth passenger, a possible flight instructor. Did you ever come across that subject? Oh yes, that's that's uh, one of the rumors, and and uh, was uh, he he uh, one of the theories is that he he bailed out. He had a he he was actually the the one who installed the bomb and and was actually the, the murderer, the killer of the three. But um, yeah, I've heard that, and there's actually a, a documentary that came out by a guy named John Hankey, and his theory was that. This uh, flight instructor could have been a Manchurian candidate type and actually deliberately uh, flew the plane into the ocean, but that would kind of discount uh, the explosion in the sky witnesses, in my opinion. Well, but, right, but the explosion in the sky, sky could have happened, and they still all fall in the water. That's a good point, too. You're right. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't think we'll ever truly know the full extent of uh, this, but it was definitely a cover-up. Um all these other witnesses can't be identified or found to this day. There was actually another witness that my friend Donald Jeffries and myself had been trying to find um, that was actually a, a guest at Rory Kennedy's wedding that John Jr. and his wife were flying to in Hyannis. Um, this person was named on the air by Shepard Smith on Fox News the next day, and Shepard Smith claimed that it was a friend of his producer, and apparently named the person on the air, and I, to this day, have never been able to go back and find the footage of him uh, mentioning this other witness, you know? No, I don't remember that either. Yeah, so that's yet another witness that just disappeared. And that was a friend of the Kennedys, <laughs> supposedly, and Shepard Smith and Fox News uh, producers and things. But anyway, yeah, so I just uh, keep trying to find whatever little nuggets of information I can find that may still be on the Internet, you know, that they haven't scrubbed all together yet. But uh, I really appreciate this, Pat. And I'm going to give out your uh, your your website again. It's uh, Independent News International, the INI World Report, and that is at www.ini-world-report.org. Once again, that's www. INI-world-report.org. And yeah, if anyone, if you want to be contacted by anyone, what's the best way to be able to do that? That's if you want to be contacted. Some of my guests, uh, they don't really want to be contacted, but I, I want to ask just in case. Yeah, there's a place in there for contact questions and stuff that I usually reply to. Nope. But I would, I would urge your listeners to take a look at that website and, and look at my book specials because the uh, two Oswalds was in there. Was I got a special package? It's about two hundred dollars plus worth of books for ninety nine dollars special. For if they're really interested in truth seeking, uh, I've got some uh, pretty so su suppressed information that they won't get anywhere else. 
And you, uh, yeah, you have groundbreaking research with Waco and Oklahoma City. You had a documentary called Murder in the Heartland, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, we we changed the name name of that after uh, 911. We we changed it to uh, the Oklahoma City bombing forerunner to 911. Okay, I just want to be sure. And what is the name of the uh, the two Oswald book that you wrote? Uh, the uh, let me read the cover to you. Just so, uh, not to put you on the spot, but just so that everyone can uh, get all this information, because uh, a lot of good stuff here. <laughs> mm-hmm. The, uh, oh, it was named, oh, there it is, it was named by my publisher. The JFK Assassination and the Uncensored Story of the Two Oswalds. And I've, I've got a picture of Lee and Harvey on the cover, and uh, any ninth grader can tell it's not the same person. <laughs> exactly, and, we're, and uh, once again, they can find that through your website. And is there any other place they can find that, or is that the preferred uh, source for people to find to get that? I believe American Free Press sells it. Okay, all right, and all this will be going in the show notes, folks. So all these links and everything. So, so this was great, Pat. Uh, how did I do? <laughs> well, I'm impressed with uh, with your research. You've got a lot of knowledge on the subject, so you're. You're a good interviewer. You know what questions to ask, and so I enjoyed being with you. Uh, that that means a lot. Believe me, that means quite a bit. Okay, well, like I said, I want to make this a recurring thing, and uh, there's many other subjects uh, to talk about with uh, Pat. And uh, yeah, until we until uh, we speak again. Oh, um, sure. I enjoyed being with you, and I'll be happy to be invited again. Yeah, and Pat, and just hold 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 on right there when we uh, we go to the end here, just so I can properly say goodbye. Okay. Okay. All right. Good night, everyone. Wall Street Window Gold, silver, the stock market, wallstreetwindow.com. Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. Wallstreetwindow.com. Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years, and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. Wallstreetwindow.com. Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. You are listening to Get Mad with Chris Graves. The War State by Michael Swanson explains the great national transformation that took place and put the Kennedy presidency in the context of the times and reveals never-before-published information about the Cuban Missile Crisis. President Kennedy would not have been assassinated if he had been president 200 years ago. His assassination took place in the context of the Cold War and the rise of the national security state. Before World War II, the United States was a continental republic. In the decade that followed, it became an imperial superpower. Generals such as Curtis LeMay not only wanted to invade Cuba, but knew that there were short-range missiles on the island armed with nuclear warheads that they could not destroy because they were on mobile launchers. Their invasion could have led to a third world war, and they wanted to go to war anyway. The War State by Michael Swanson reveals why and will show you what President Kennedy was up against. For more information, thewarstate.com.
Ocelli.com. Go ahead, Carla. Hey, I'm interested in the truth about the JFA assassination. Right. Well, what do you want to know? Judy Baker's wild claim. Oswald girlfriend. She knew Ruby and Barry. Cancer weapons. Really? I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay. Oswald was on the team and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now. Has a real effort on the JFA assassination built into her claims? Go to Amazon.com. Enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get the results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at, well, <laughs> a different perspective, let's say. You can get Judith Barry Baker in her own words from the author himself, signed if you request it, by contacting Dr. Brown at K-I-A-S-J-F-K at AOL.com. It's a fun book and it actually dissects the many, many fantastic claims. Judith Barry Baker in her own words. Thank you for all the great information. Uncle, I'll bet you remember the time when Benjamin Fulford said that the Asian Secret Society was going to dispatch ninjas to take out the Illuminati to change the entire world for the better. That is never going to happen. That never did. It never did, did it? Mm -mm. Yeah, because there's a lot of false promises. Fools! I can't say one. We better not say and be polite, but there are no false promises at the Ocelli.com radio network. That's exactly it. It's truth the point right to the point and this is what I like straight to the point Ocelli.com listen now listen now the views expressed by callers, co-hosts, or anyone else who happens to get on the air at Ocelli.com do not necessarily reflect the views of Ocelli.com or Chuck Ocelli. And we are not responsible for any stupidity which might ensue. Thank you. Ocelli.com. Revelation through conversation. Do you like history? Real history that you were never taught in schools. Why? The Vietnam War. Nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia. By author Mike Swanson. With new documentation never seen before. That'll open your eyes to events that led up to this. Why? The Vietnam War. Nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia. 1945 through 1961. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. Why? The Vietnam War. By author Mike Swanson. of a crowd. How do you move a mob? How do you excite them? How do you make them feel as one with you? I don't know how. Join them first. Join them? Yes. When you speak to them, speak to them as if you were a member of the mob. Speak to them in their language, on their level, 
make their hate your hate. If they are poor, talk to them of poverty. If they are afraid, talk to them of their fears. If they are angry, give them objects for their anger. But most of all, the thing that is most of the essence is that you make this mob an extension of yourself. What are the dynamics of a crowd? How do you move a mob? How do you excite? How do you make them feel as one with you? On their level, make their hate your hate. Talk to them of poverty. Talk to them of their fears. Give them objects for their anger. Make this mob an extension of yourself. Strikes and Tanks by Larry Hancock. Secret wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. Larry Hancock's book, In Denial, rips the cover off many of them. Using new files, it exposes things about the Bay of Pigs that no one has ever written about before. It shows why it really failed and why the United States did not learn from it. It also shows why other countries today are doing secret operations with more success. This is the book that puts what some want to deny into the light. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. Larry Hancock. For more information, go to Larry-Hancock.com. Pick up your copy of In Denial at Amazon.com in digital or physical. We are going to die out here. Someone will find us soon. We're lost, we're out of food and water, and our phones are dead. Well, I've got 5% left, but I'm saving it for wow days at BJ's Wholesale Club. Are you kidding me? No, it's their three-day event where you save up to 65% on appliances, tech, furniture, and outdoor products. But I should probably call for help. Wait, do they have air fryers? Save up to 65% during wow days at BJ's Wholesale Club July 10th through the 12th. Visit bj's.com slash wowdays for details. BJ's, absurdly simple savings. Leftovers. Or the DMV. Number 97. Or house cleaning. Or 
Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. Chumbacasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.